0: feel like that what I've been sharing on is talking about how that God's already done his part, it's already accomplished, and it's just a matter of us responding to it. But I feel like God's really released his love and touched a lot of people and you know the reason God set it up this way is because of his great love for us. He didn't want us to be just powerless to where we were just constantly having to come and beg Him for everything. He made us, He made Adam and Eve like gods over this world and gave them everything, even though that made Him vulnerable. That meant that they could mess things up, that they could ruin things, and they did it. And you know what? God still loved them. And likewise, in the new creation, God has given us all of this power and authority because of his great love for us. And many of us wished it would be different, that God would just take over all the control and just make us blessed and make us healed and make us happy. But you know, that's not the way that God is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, this is just the nature of God. God is a meek God. God is a humble God. And you know, those things don't seem to go with the name God. If you were to watch a show where they depict God, they'll depict him as this angry, violent person who demands obedience and just squashes anything in his path. And yet Jesus came and represented God. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 11, The last few verses, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall receive, or you shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus said he was meek and lowly. Did you know that when God came to the earth through Jesus, he didn't come on a 747, on a, you know, some kind of miraculous way that would have gained the attention of people. He came through just natural means. It was supernatural the way he was conceived, but it was a natural birth, born in a stable, announced to shepherds, not to the Caesar, not to the king. He didn't do things in a flashy way. He came in a way that it took faith to perceive that this was God. I can guarantee you when those shepherds walked in, And saw a little baby laying in a manger, that means a crib where they fed animals and in a stable, it took faith to believe that this was God in this helpless little baby born in a stable, couldn't even get a decent room in an inn. It took faith for people to believe that this was God when those wise men came and offered their gifts. You know, Jesus did not come out of the womb, speaking Hebrew. It says in Luke chapter two, verse 52, that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And he had to learn to walk. He had to learn to control his bowels, how to control his muscles. I'm sure the first time he tried to feed himself, he got food all over. This was God. You know, this isn't the way that we would have thought of it. We wouldn't have done things this way. We would have come and, you know, the scripture says over in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, it says that when we see him, there is no beauty in him that we should behold him. Isaiah 52, I believe verse two. There's no comeliness, there's no beauty. If somehow or another I would have been God and if I would have loved the human race so much that I would have become a physical man, I guarantee you, I'd have been the best specimen of flesh that ever lived. I'd have been bigger than anybody else, stronger than everybody else, better looking than everybody else. But Jesus, there was no beauty in him. Jesus wasn't a pretty person. He wasn't a big person. He wasn't a strong looking person. Jesus was so common and so plain that it took faith to believe that this is God. This is just the nature of God. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, if again, if I had been God and if I had loved man enough to do all of this and if I would have endured the mockery and people blindfolding me and slapping me in the face and say, prophesy if you're the son of God. And if I had endured the cross and then died, the very first person I would have, shown myself to wouldn't have been a woman who had been demon possessed that nobody cared about, Mary Magdalene. That wouldn't have been the first person I'd have appeared to. I'd have appeared to Pilate. I'd have shook his bed and woke him up and I said, are your hands clean, Pilate? I'd have appeared to the guys that blindfolded me and mocked me and said, let me prophesy to you and tell you something everybody in Jerusalem had seen him crucified, I would have hovered over the city and just let them see me. And man, you'd have had everybody fall on their face. And yet there isn't one instance in scripture that Jesus ever appeared to a non-believer after his resurrection. He didn't use his resurrected person to prove anything to anybody except people who already believed. God is a meek God. Faith is what pleases Him. He wants us to believe by faith. And like I was teaching this morning, if you missed this morning, I encourage you to please get the CD or DVD because this was just something that most people don't know. And I believe it's the way that God created us to be. He wants us to live by faith. Adam and Eve saw by faith. They were so operating in the spirit realm that they didn't even realize they were naked until after they sinned and their spiritual eyes closed and their physical eyes opened up. But God created us to be spiritually minded, to walk in the spirit, to know him by faith. And it's not that God is demanding that we do something that we can't do. This is how God created us to be. We are faith beings. God created us to live on a different plane than what most of us are living. We're living at a substandard level and we are more influenced by the world than the world is influenced by the church. And I'm assuming that the vast majority of people in here are already born again. And yet I can guarantee you, we have the values of this world. We have the mindset. We are carnal. We are limited to the physical realm. We are living, I mean, just way way below what God intended us to be. And God is wanting us to bring wanting to bring us up to this level of walking by faith and living in a realm of faith. Faith can be more real to you than the physical tangible world. Spiritual things can be more real than physical things. I don't know. I don't have the words to get all of that across. But I'm telling you that we need to come up and God loves us so much that he's empowered us. He's given us everything, every person in here. If you've been born again, then you have the same spirit on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You have the same power. You have the same anointing. You have the same knowledge. You have the same joy, the same peace, but it's all in the spiritual man. And unless you get beyond just your physical senses and get to where you can walk by faith and receive the truths of the Word of God, then you'll be limited to living like a natural man or woman. And that's a shame because we're supernatural. God has given us supernatural ability. It ought to be normal to see miracles. Ashley and Carly were talking about, they see so many miracles. Now they come back and you say, what happened? And they said, oh, it was great. We saw great miracles. (laughs) That's it. You know, it's just commonplace. We see miracles all the time. It's not like, man, we saw somebody's blind eye open. They've seen many blind eyes open. You get to where after a while, it's just normal, normal, supernatural. You know, people say, how are you? And you say supernaturally. (laughs) This is just the way that it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be world overcomers. And I know what I'm saying is so far from where most people live that some people think, man, you're just out of touch. I don't believe I'm out of touch. I believe other people are out of touch with what God intended us to be. This is where the word of God has led me, is into believing in the supernatural power of God, to believing for supernatural results and not just natural results. And I tell you, I believe God has been touching people's hearts. If you would receive it, these are some of the things that have changed my life and this could change your life. You know, I'm not the perfect example. I believe that there's a lot that I still need to learn and receive. But you know what? I have seen God move in my life supernaturally. I've seen awesome miracles. And uh, I tell you, I just would recommend it. I would recommend you getting totally out of touch. With your carnal self and into the spirit realm, walking in the spirit, you'd love it. Amen. Amen. Let's turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 1. I want to share something with you here that um, some of you may not see the exact correlation, but God has already done everything. And I've been talking about this, about the authority of the believer about what God's already done. By grace it's done and we just respond. And I really felt tonight like there's people in here, I've ministered these, I've been ministering the same thing for 40 something years. I, you know what? You could go back and listen to my messages 40 years ago and they're the same stuff. I hadn't got anything new. I'll give you a clue. I always teach the same thing. I just use a different verse and a different uh, Approach and application, but it's always the same stuff. I just teach the same stuff over and over and over. It's all I've been doing for 40 years. So anyway, many of you have heard some of these things, but what I see a lot is people don't seem to be able to retain this. And I've had a lot of people that I've been in a fellowship with 30 or 40 years ago, and they come back and hear me, and they say, man... I don't know where, but somewhere I lost this along the way. I knew these things, but you know what? It's not real. I was just with a couple. I won't mention their names, but most of you know who they are. And I was with them and I was ministering and this lady came up. She graduated from Ramah and she says, you know, I used to know this stuff. I used to live in this. And she says, I don't know where, but I've lost it. And she says, I need to get back. I need to be in fellowship with you. And she's been fighting sickness for two years and doing she was doing going through the motions and saying all the right things, but getting no results. And I mean, two sessions. And it just changed this woman's life. And I hear a lot of people that at one time had God speak something to them, but it's hard for most people to maintain this and live in this place of faith. You know, the Bible says the just will live by faith. They just don't vacation there. They don't go there on weekends. You live in a place of faith. You live by faith. And most people don't live by faith. They're in and out and up and down. And it doesn't have to be that way. So I wanna, what I want to share with you tonight is how to maintain this, how to get a revelation of God's love for you and what he's done for you, and then how to maintain it. And I've got a lot of teaching on this. This is going to be a really quick synopsis of it. I've got a teaching out there entitled, The Keys to, uh, to Staying Full of God, and it'll go into a lot more detail. Uh, and let me just preface this by saying that I was ministering in Lexington, uh, or I, don't, I forgot where it was, someplace in Kentucky. And I, I was ministering on the love of God, and I started on a Wednesday, and on Sunday morning a woman came up to me and she was just crying. And she says, I've never been touched like this in my life. She says, I understand that God loves me in spite of who I am. And she was just crying and praising God. And she says, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened in my life. But then she says, I know it won't last, but I'm enjoying it while it's here. (laughs) And when she said that, it just grieved me to think that somebody would have God touch them and they'd experience the love of God, but they, she knew it wouldn't last. She didn't even expect it to last. And that bothered me. And I went back to my hotel room that afternoon and I got to praying and I said, God, why is this? And I got to thinking, and you know, it is typical. There's even doctrines that they have in the body of Christ about you go on a honeymoon and you get born again and you experience the love of God and you go through this honeymoon period, but then that wears off and reality sets in and it's down in the valley where you grow. You can't always stay on the mountaintop and religions come up with all of these things and they actually teach that this is a positive thing. You're supposed to suffer. You're supposed to be up and down like a yo-yo. You can't walk in faith. You can't live by faith. You just visit there. And this is actually, most people have embraced it. And by most people's experience, I'd say that that's true. Most people are like leaky vessels and whatever God does in their life just lasts for a brief period of time. And then it all leaks out and they go back and want God to fill them again and stuff. And so as I was praying about this, I saw that this is this is typical but I just couldn't accept that it was normal. And as I was praying about it, I got to thinking about my own life. And you know, the Lord touched my life, March the 23rd, 1968. And I'm saying this to the glory of God. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but what God did for me 45 years ago, this coming March, has not weakened or decreased. It's stronger. It's stronger on the inside of me today than what it was 45 years ago. What God did that night in March in 1968 is impacting me more today than it did back then. I've never gotten over it. I don't ever plan on getting over it. It's changed my life. There's not a day that has gone by since then that I haven't built upon that. You know, I really believe that the Christian life ought to be where you, as you walk with the Lord, you build up momentum. It ought to get better. It ought to get stronger. It ought to get to where like after a while, you are going like a thousand miles an hour. And if the devil's put something in your path, you are just going to go through it. There's no way it's going to stop you. And yet there's some Christians that are moving so slow that if the devil was to put a pebble in your path, you might not have enough inertia to get over it. I mean, you could put a twig there and you'd just bump into it and stop. Stop. You know, it's easy to make a U-turn when you're only going one mile an hour, but if you're going a thousand miles an hour, it takes a long time to make a U-turn or you have to slow down and apply the brake and slow down before you can turn around. There's some people that don't have any momentum in their Christian life. And, And if the devil was to tempt you with something you don't want to, but by nightfall, you just aren't sure that you'd still be serving God. It just depends on how things go that day. You know, I can truthfully say that today I believe I'm capable of doing anything that anybody else is capable of, but I'm not capable of doing it tonight. Man, I've got my heart set on the Lord. I've built up momentum and I don't know how long it'd take me to slow down and turn around and head in a different direction, but I'm not going to find out. It would take a while. I can't go out and commit adultery today. I can't just go steal money today. I can't go do those things today because I've got my heart set on God and I've built up momentum. I don't know if you're understanding what I'm saying, but this is the way I believe that the Christian life is meant to be, that you ought to get stronger as time goes along. You ought to get to where, man, you've got so much momentum. You've got all of these things that God has done in your life that you wouldn't turn away for anything. And yet the average Christian just lives from moment to moment to moment. They, what God did five years, 10 years ago is a distant memory. It has very little impact on them today. And they've just lost the benefit of all of that. How does that happen? And as I was praying about it and saying, God, there's got to be something because in my life, the things that God did in 1968 are still working and still producing and I'm still benefiting from them today. And I got to praying and saying, God, what about this? And the Lord led me to these verses here in Romans. And I'm not going to take time to read all of it because I'll preach a long time on it. But in verses 18 through 20, it's showing that there is an intuitive knowledge of God on the inside of every person ever created. Whether they say they're atheist or not, whether they say they they might say that they don't believe that there's a God, it's a lie. It's a lie. This these verses say God has revealed himself from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men so that they are without excuse, even as eternal power and Godhead is known. It is a lie when people say that they don't believe there's a God. You put a gun to their head and they'll cry out to that God they say they don't believe in. It's all mind games at a heart level everybody knows that there's a God and everybody knows right from wrong. The only exception to that is that you can go so far into sin that you sear your conscience with a hot iron and you kill your conscience. And so you can get away from it, but it takes a long period of time. Everybody at one time started out with this intuitive knowledge on the inside of them, knowing that there's a God. That's what these verses say. But then in verse 21, look at this. It says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And then it goes on and lists other things that happened. And what it's doing, it's showing you the progressive steps that people have to take away from this sensitivity to God. Nobody is born hardened to God. Everybody is sensitive to God at birth. You take a little child and a little child is just sensitive to God. They have a sensitivity and a kindness in them. They have to be taught to be mean and selfish and angry and bitter and all of these kind of things. You don't start that way. And this is saying that here's the progression. Here's what happens that begins the process of us hardening our hearts towards God or losing this sensitivity. And it shows these steps and it goes all the way down and list homosexuality as one of the very last steps before a person is totally given over to to complete rejection to God. But I want to focus on these four things here in Romans chapter uh, one, verse 21. And I want to turn them around and use them in a positive way that if we do the opposite of those things, instead of our heart becoming progressively hardened towards God and losing the benefit of what he's done in our life, we can reverse it. And if you will do the opposite of these things, you can keep yourself sensitive to God. This is telling you how to stay sensitive to God. And this is Uh, countering a belief system that's in the body of Christ. And most people don't believe you have any control over this. We just believe that it's totally dependent upon God. And if you have joy, it's because God has just blessed you. He just dumped joy on you, but you can't make yourself happy. You can't make yourself blessed. You can't make yourself anointed. You can't do any of those things. And when we discern that there's depression and discouragement or anything in our life, the average Christian runs to the Lord and just goes to begging him like, oh God, please touch me and oh God, renew me and revive me. That's totally wrong. God has already done everything and in your spirit, Galatians 5, and 23, you've already got all of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, and peace, and etc. et cetera. God's already done his part. If you aren't happy, if you aren't anointed, if you aren't blessed, if you aren't excited about the future, it's not God who hasn't given it to you. It's you that have done these things that have hardened your heart towards God and have diminished these things. So instead of crying out to God, you need to fix the things that are wrong on the inside of you. You know, I've used this example before, but it's similar to a television set. That if you turn on a television set and you start seeing and hearing the signal, and then all of a sudden the signal goes blank, what do you do? Well, we might go check and see did somebody kick the cord, is the thing unplugged? We would check our TV. I remember back when I was a kid... Uh, Some of you are too young to remember this. Man, I can't believe I'm getting that old. But back when I was a kid, we only had three channels that you got and you had to put the antenna up and and the things would come and go. And you know what? The the television stations would just go off the air every once in a while. They didn't broadcast all of the time. You couldn't keep them broadcasting. And so anyway, our TV set would go on and off all of the time. But anyway, when things like that happened, The first thing you do, you don't call the television station and say, why did you quit broadcasting? Now we know that those stations have backup systems, they have generators, they have all of these things, and we have confidence that the TV station is going to be broadcasting all of the time. If your set was to go off, you would go check your set. You would call somebody to come and repair your set, and you would see what's wrong with your set, not with the TV station. Well, in this comparison, God is broadcasting all of the time, but every once in a while our signal gets fuzzy or it goes off. And instead of us thinking, what's wrong with me? Am I unplugged? Have I not been in the word? Have I not been studying and praying? Am I not in communion? Instead of us examining ourselves, the first thing we do is, say, oh God, restore to me my joy. And we pray to him like he's the one that cut the joy off. He's the one that cut the power off. He's the one that turned off the anointing. It's God who's done these things. And we begin to petition him. I'm telling you, God has already done everything. And if you aren't happy and blessed and anointed and full, it's not God's fault, it's yours. And a lot of people hate that kind of stuff because they say, "You're making me responsible for the mess that I'm in." Yep, that's what I'm doing. And some people just don't like that because you can't handle it you you take great delight in in blaming God or blaming the devil or blaming your mate or blaming somebody else. Adam says, it's that woman that you gave me. This has been going on since the garden of Eden and people love to blame somebody else. But the problem is if it's God, if it's the devil, if it's your mate, you can't change those things. When you accept responsibility that you know what? It's my fault. I'm the one that quit meditating in the things of God. I'm the one that quit keeping my mind stayed on him. Isaiah 26, three, if you keep your mind stayed on the Lord, he'll keep you in perfect peace. If you aren't in perfect peace, it's not God who's not giving you peace. It's not the devil. The devil is of course, tempting you and and trying to get you off track. But the bottom line is you quit keeping your mind stayed on God. If your mind was stayed on God, you would have perfect peace. If you don't have perfect peace, your mind isn't stayed on God, period. And it was your fault. You're the one that quit keeping your mind stayed on God. It blesses me to find out I'm the problem because if I'm the problem, I can fix me. If God's my problem, I'm in trouble. (laughs) And so these are talking about the things that we do that shut off the flow of God's spirit through us. It's never God who quits flowing It's like, you know, water piped into your house. The water is always there, but you've got a valve, a spigot, and you can turn that thing so that you shut off the flow and not want, you could actually die of thirst with your mouth underneath the faucet waiting on the water to come out. There could be water inches away and you could die of thirst if you didn't know how to open up the spigot. God has already placed everything that we will ever need on the inside of us. We are absolutely complete but the average Christian is just sitting there in front of the spigot, begging God to turn on the power instead of you turning the, the uh, spigot. It's like us trying to get call the electric company, turn on the lights, we need the lights. And yet they generate the power, they deliver it to you. It's now at your command. You go flip the switch and you could stand there and stay in the dark and the whole time have power into your house and yet never see the light if you don't flip the switch. God has already done his part. He's generated the power. He's put all of this on the inside of us, but there are things we do that stop the flow of God through us. And that's what this is talking about. And it lists four things here in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. The very first thing it talks about is that the people, when they had this revelation of God, when God had touched their life, and they did have the power of God flowing. They didn't glorify him as God. And you know, when I first read this, this stumped me because I thought, what does it mean to glorify God? I looked the word up in the Hebrew and the word glorify means to render or esteem glorious. And when I read that, I thought that's using the same word to define it. That didn't help me. And so then I started going to the dictionary and I started looking up all of these words to render our esteem. And when I got to the word esteem, the word esteem means to place value on, to prize. And I got to meditating on that. And here's what I believe that the Lord was saying, is that when the Lord touches your life, you have to place value on that. You have to esteem it. You have to start glorifying God and magnifying what he's done in your life. And if you don't do that, then that thing is going to diminish and it will, it will fade and it will leave it. It won't leave its importance in your life. You know, here's an example of what I'm talking about. It's like uh, if the Lord was to speak to you during this conference and you were to understand God's love for you and if you just really got touched and you, God spoke to you. But if you don't place the proper value on this, if you don't say that wasn't just the word of a man, that was the word of God. God spoke to me. God told me some things. God told me that he loved me. If you don't place the proper value on it, You know, Paul said this, he says, we pray that you would receive the word of God, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God that lives and abides forever. Paul was praying that they would value the word, not just as a human messenger, but they would recognize God was speaking through him. God has touched people in these meetings this week, but if you just believe that it's only Andrew, it's just the word of a man, and you don't recognize that it's the Holy Spirit that spoke to you, if you don't place the proper value on it, then Satan will come and steal that word from you. He'll diminish it. You know, it's like if you had, if you had something sitting on your uh, front seat of your car, you know, most people automatically lock their car and stuff. But if you had if you had a dime, you know, on the front seat of your car, some of you might not lock the car thinking it's not that important. But if you had a million dollars in the front seat of your car, first of all, you probably wouldn't leave it in your car. But if you did, I guarantee you you'd lock that car. You would have somebody stand there. You would protect it because of the value that you place on that. When you don't value something properly, Satan just comes and takes it from you. But when you value something, when it's an important, boy, you keep your attention on that. You are focused on it. You aren't gonna let somebody come steal it. And the Bible makes it very clear. Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter four, and other places, it says, once the seed has been sown, once the word is sown, Satan comes immediately to steal away the word that's been sown in your heart. I can promise you, if God showed you how much he loved you here this week, I can guarantee you that Satan is going to come in the next few days and do something to try and steal this revelation of how much God loves you. And he's got a million ways of doing it. One of the easy ways is he's got so many people that are submitted unto him that when you go to work on money, I mean, all the devil's got to do is just goad somebody a little bit and they just, for whatever reason, who knows, they just get on your case and go to criticizing you and criticizing your work and speaking against you. And if you aren't careful, you will take your attention away from what God showed you about how much he loved you. And you'll go to looking at this person who's criticized you and you will go to esteeming them and wanting their acceptance more than you want the acceptance of God. And see, that's how he steals from you is you just didn't value it. But if you were to place the proper value on God, if you were to get to where God, you showed me that you love me. And if you were focused on that, you could reach a place to where it doesn't matter. Your mate could come out against you. Your children could come out against you. Your boss could come out against you. Your dog could bite you. You wouldn't care. You're just thinking about, man, God loves me. God loves me. You would be focused on that and it wouldn't matter. You know I've used this example before it's like a seesaw. You know if you got a seesaw you got a fulcrum here in the middle and you got this thing and and both ends can't be up at the same time. If this end is up the other end's got to be down and vice versa. If you put high value on God and how much he loves you over here, then your comparative worth on the opinions of other people and on their acceptance or rejection has to be down here. And if somebody goes to criticizing you and you think, oh man, I want this person to love me. How am I going to work here if this person feels this way about me? And if you go to longing to have their acceptance and you start valuing their opinion, the moment you start valuing that and increasing it, this comes down and you devalue, you quit glorifying, you quit esteeming what God has done in your life and Satan will steal that from you. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? Yes. My own personal life, I had this experience with the Lord. Lord, March 23rd, 1968, I was only 18 years old. I didn't know what happened, but I just knew God touched me and I knew I was never gonna be the same. I didn't sleep all night long. I got up the next morning. I stood in front of my Baptist church and I told them, I said, I don't know what happened, but I'm changed. I'll never be the same. I said, I think I'm filled with the spirit. (laughs) I thought that sounded good. I'd read it in the Bible. I didn't see that as being bad. You'd have thought I used profanity people came out against me. Who do you think you are? The pastor of the church told me Paul was filled with the spirit. Are you putting yourself in the category with Paul? And you know what? Every person that I respected, the people who were professional Christians (laughs) and everybody who was important, they were saying, they were disesteeming my experience. They were saying, you've missed it. This isn't God. This is your flesh. God would you never lead you to say you're filled with the Spirit. I didn't understand all of this back then. I hadn't read these scriptures. But you know what? I, I just knew that I knew, that I knew, that I meant with God and that God loved me. And I just I remember just being shocked at people's reaction. And I didn't know what their problem was, but I said, I don't care what you say. I know God loves me. I know God carries my picture in his wallet and I refused to disesteem what God had spoken to me. And I actually got kicked out of that church. I got voted out of that church because they thought I was arrogant because I was saying, man, God loves me. God's got a purpose for my life. God's got a plan for my life. And I had all of the leaders, all of the influential people, and you know what? I had a tendency to esteem them. This is back before I was married, and my mother, I was living with my mother. My dad died when I was 12. My brother and sisters were gone, and my mother and I were super close. She was my best friend, and my mother thought I lost my mind. She didn't talk to me for two weeks. And when I finally took her out to buy, I bought her a meal and I said, you are going to talk to me. And she started talking and she cried and she says, I'm so ashamed of you. And you know what? I had a tendency to sit there and say, well, man, if I'm going to lose my mother's uh, approval and value of my mother, well then forget this. And I'm going to value this. I had the tendency to do that. But I just told my mother, I said, look, I don't know what your problem is, but man, God meant with me. God's changed my life. And I refuse to decrease the value that I have placed on God. And because of it, I've never lost the benefit of it. I got kicked out of that church. My mother eventually came around, became one of my biggest supporters and helped me. But I mean, I went through a lot of things. I got drafted and sent through Vietnam. And you know what? It didn't change anything. I kept valuing. It looked like that my experience with the Lord was ruining my life. Because when I had this encounter, prior to that, I was in school. I had a student deferment from the draft. I had $350 a month coming to me from my father's death through his social security as long as I stayed in school. I had monetary reasons. I had physical reasons. Everybody told me that I was of the devil when I said that God led me to quit school. But you know what? This is just what God spoke to me. And I was so in love with God and trusting God so much, I just didn't care what people said. I remember that during that period of time, when I quit school, they sent me for a physical for the army. And after I got that physical, I had a recruiter come to my house. And this guy was like 30 something years old. I was 18 years old. And he came to my house and he walked in and he opened his briefcase and spread all of his stuff out and started giving me the spiel about how beneficial it is to volunteer for the draft instead of be drafted. And he started telling me all this stuff. And I said, I can save both of us a lot of time. And he says, how's that? And I said, the reason I'm classified 1A and that I went and got my physical and that you're here is because I quit school and that lost my student deferment. And he said, that's right. And I said, but God told me to quit school. (laughs) And when I said that, this guy laughed. He started laughing at me. You know what he was doing? I was esteeming God and saying, God spoke to me and God told me to quit school. He laughed at God. He laughed at the one who I was in love with and trust. And it made me mad. And I told him, I said, Hey, God's responsible for this. And the Lord's one that told me to do it. And if he wants me to be drafted, I'll be drafted. And if he doesn't want me to be drafted, I won't be drafted. And this guy laughed and he says, boy, I can guarantee you, you're going to Vietnam. And when he said that, I mean, I stood and you know what? He was trying to get me to devalue what God had said to me in my relationship with God. And I remember here he was a representative of the mightiest nation on the face of the earth, the one that had the power to draft me, send me someplace, get me killed. And I remember standing up and putting my finger right in this guy's chest. And I said, buddy, if God wants me drafted, I'll be drafted. And if he doesn't, you or the United States government or every demon in hell can't draft me. <laughs> And this guy just put his stuff in his briefcase, folded it up and walked out. Never said another word. And guess what? The next day I had my draft notice in the mailbox. (laughs) I wished I'd have looked to see if there was a stamp on it. I'm not sure that it was mail. I bet you this guy went down, processed it himself and put it in my mailbox. I don't know. But I didn't care. I meant it. And you know what? I just refused to take away and value the, the recruiter's opinion, the United States government, my mother, my pastor, my friends, everybody else told me I was of the devil and that I was missing God. And they tried to devalue what God had done in my life. And I just kept saying no. And I kept honoring and valuing God. I praise God for it. And you know, because of it, I've never lost the benefit of it. I can guarantee you, if at one time the Lord has touched your life, some way, somehow, something happened that you started valuing. You valued the opinion of other people. You valued something. You started putting your attention and focus on something else, and you decreased the value that you placed on what God did. You can't lose the benefit of God touching your life without going through that process. So it's as simple as this. Just glorify, magnify, put value on God. When God speaks to you, make a big deal out of it. This is the reason that the Bible said to make landmarks. And, uh, you know, um, who was it? Samuel raised his uh, Ebenezer, a stone to commemorate this victory. Make these memorials. I've got memorials all over my property where a boulder ran over me and should have killed me and I just lived through it anyway. And I got a big old deal there saying that the Lord saved my life right here, August the 28th, 1999, when this boulder rolled over my head. And then I copied down the scripture that says the Lord preserves the simple, amen. (laughs) And I got that thing right there by that boulder. I got me a memorial made. I remember God saving my life. I remember things. I go back to Arlington, Texas and drive by my house. I go by the place where I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where I saw the first demon cast out, where this happened, where that happened. I've got memorials. I walk and I'll spend hours going through and reminding myself. The Bible says in Psalms 103, I believe it's verse two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The reason he commands you not to forget is because it's your tendency to forget. It takes effort to remember. Remember? You have to go back and intentionally remember and keep placing value on that. I go back every day of my life and remember that, man, God touched my life. I don't know all the reasons yet why he did it, but man, I'm so glad he did it. And I remember it and I praise God for that. And I have always valued God touching my life. And because of it, what he did in 1968 is still just as fresh in my life as it ever was. You know, just for times, like I'm talking as fast as I can, but over in uh, Romans chapter 13, I believe it's verse 11, Paul said, I magnify my office. The word for magnify there is the exact same word that was translated glorify in Romans 121. And so by putting those verses together, you can see, here's another way of talking about it. You have to magnify what God does in your life. The word magnify means to make bigger. You can't make God bigger. God is who he is regardless of how you think. But as far as your thinking goes, you can make God bigger in your mind than your problems. Your mind is like a pair of binoculars and whatever you focus on gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it just keeps growing. The longer you look at it, the bigger and bigger and bigger it gets. The sad thing is most of us focus on the negative. We will focus on the people who criticize us. We will look on the one thing that goes wrong instead of the 99 things that went right. And if you look at the negatives, if you were one of these people that, you know, you would gripe and complain if they slit your throat with a brand new knife, you wouldn't see the blessing in it. Amen. (laughs) Man, if you're really positive, you could say, Thank you, Jesus. It was a brand new knife. It didn't have any rust on it, no germs on it. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) There's a positive way of looking at everything, but most of us look at the negative stuff, and because of that, it just grows and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like the devil puts a little tiny toothpick in your path and you focus on it and look at that thing and think about this thing that happened to you. And as you meditate on it, it becomes this huge baseball bat. And the devil's just beating your brains in with this little toothpick that you've magnified to a baseball bat. We magnify the wrong things, but To glorify means to magnify. You can focus on the things of God and it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger and it'll get more important and more valuable in your life. But it takes effort on your part to do that. You can't focus on all of the negative things in your life and have God glorified or magnified. You are gonna have to focus on God. And I tell you, Jamie and I have been through a lot of hard things, no more than anybody else, but I mean, we've had our share of hard things. And there's been times that in the natural, it looked like there's no reason for me to continue on. And I had to just focus on the good. I had to focus on the things that God was doing. There was at least 10 years of me being in the ministry that there was no evidence that I was called to the ministry. None. People stayed away from my meetings by the thousands. (laughs) We had zero evidence of it. If I'd have been arrested for being a minister, they couldn't have proven that I was one. And I just had to go back and remember, God, I know what you've told me. I know what you've done. And I magnified God over and over and over and over when there was no reason to believe it in the natural. You can do that. I've lived it. You can do it. You can keep your mind focused on God. And every one of us have had awesome, good things happen. And the problem is we don't value the things of God the way we should. We allow ourselves to become distracted. We're too plugged into this world and all of the negativism and all of the criticism and the bad news. It takes time to meditate on the things of God. You have to keep your mind stayed upon the Lord to stay in perfect peace. It doesn't happen automatically you need to meditate on the things of God. And as you focus on it, your mind, it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And God can be magnified. God can become huge in your life. What God has done in your life can become so big that it just overwhelms anything in the natural that comes against you. I gave that testimony about this doctor telling me I had a serious heart problem on that treadmill. But you know what? I had magnified the word and what God said. And it was just so big that I couldn't take the word of a doctor. It's not that I'm against people. It's not that I don't appreciate doctors, but compared to God, a doctor's nobody. Amen. Amen. I have people come up to me nearly every time I minister and there's always somebody who's gonna criticize you over something. And you know what? I'm not the best public speaker that there is. If I was God, I don't think I'd have chosen me. There's people a lot better qualified. I always say something wrong. I say something stupid. I do. And people come up and criticize me and and talk about it. And you know what? I don't like that criticism. But I've just gotten to a place that even though I'm not the silver vessel, I am a surrendered vessel and God loves me and God uses me. And you know what? I I don't like it when people criticize me, but compared to God, you're nobody. And that's the way that I look at things. I had a man come up to me in Kansas city and he just started reading me the riot act over Jamie and the way she dressed. And there's nothing wrong with the way Jamie dresses. She always looks nice. She's always dressed really nice. But he was a Pentecostal and she had on jewelry and makeup and uh, stuff. And so he was reading me the riot act. And I just stopped him right in the middle of it. And I said, hey, who died and made you God? (laughs) And he just stopped and looked at me and he says, what do you mean? I said, you aren't God. What do I care? I don't give a rip what you think. (laughs) And he just looked at me, like, I can't believe you'd say that. And I said, compared to God, you're nobody. I don't care what you think. And this is the way I deal with criticism. When people criticize me, I'll go to the Lord and say, Father, am I doing right? And he doesn't always say that you're perfect, you know, but he loves me anyway. And if God loves me, I think, well, that's good enough. Amen. Yeah. If God's pleased with me, I just don't care what you think. If you're the type of person that all somebody's got to do is just come and criticize you and you just fall apart like a $2 suitcase and start sucking your thumb and talking about how bad it is and nobody loves me and everybody's mad at me. It's because you don't have much value and esteem on God's opinion of you. You don't understand how much God loves you. If you ever get a revelation of how much God loves you, and if you can maintain that by continuing to magnify him, you'll reach a place that it doesn't matter if it's the president of the United States or whoever it is that you value, they're nobody compared to God. You won't be intimidated by being around the world's elite because man, you're in the presence of God. If you're a person that gets bothered by people's criticism of you, you are a very immature person who is codependent upon people. Got quiet when I said that. (laughs) You know, I was climbing Pikes Peak one time with a friend of mine and this friend of mine, we both have a mutual friend who's a pastor who's a friend of ours, but at the same time he criticizes us and says lots of things behind our back. And we had talked about it before. And this guy has said some really nasty things about me and about this other guy. So we had talked about it before. And anyway, we were climbing Pikes Peak and he started talking to me and he says, have you heard the latest thing that so-and-so said? And I said, no. And so he started telling me about how he had been ragging on me and saying some things about me. And I just stopped in and I said, Mike, I don't want to hear it. I said, I know that he criticizes me and says things about me. I just don't need to hear what he's got to say. So we kept walking. And in a few minutes, he says, but he said this. And he started trying to tell me again. And I said, I don't want to hear it. I said, just don't tell me. So he went probably 10 minutes. And finally, he says, why doesn't it bother you? What he says about you. And I said, because I don't place the value on his friendship that you do. I said, it's not that I don't want this guy to like me and I don't want to get along with him. But I said, you know what? It doesn't keep me up at night if he doesn't like me. God Almighty likes me. And that's enough for me to be able to sleep good every single night. I wish that everybody would like my ministry, but you know what? If you hated what I said tonight, and if you came up and said something to me, it wouldn't bless me. I don't get joy out of people criticizing me, but I can guarantee you it's not going to keep me up tonight because I just don't value your opinion that much. I just really don't care. (laughs) All I care about is God. And I'm saying things that have set me free that God has revealed to me And I believe it's what pleases the Lord. And as long as I feel like I'm pleasing the Lord, I just don't give a rip what you think. (laughs) Amen. And I'm telling you, this is where a lot of people lose what God has done in their life is because they will receive benefit, but then they have so many other relationships. They've got to have their mate reinforce it. They've got to have their children just do everything right. They've got to have everybody at work love them. And all Satan has to do is just bring some criticism against you and downplay your experience with the Lord. Somebody come up and say, you don't believe that Bible stuff, do you? And because you are so dependent upon having everybody else's approval, you start seeking to gain their approval. And the moment you do your value that you've placed on God decreases. And that's how Satan steals this from you. You know, if you have ever had God show you his love, reveal something to you, touch you by the power of God or something, if the Lord has ever touched you The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. That means he never changes. He never takes it back. If you've had the healing power of God in your life for one nanosecond, it's still there. If you've ever been healed of a cold, that same anointing that healed your cold will heal your cancer, will heal your headache, will heal anything. It doesn't take different power levels of God to move in your life. If you've ever had God touch you, that same power is still there. It's not God that turned off the switch, it's you. Because you somewhere down the line quit magnifying and glorifying God and talking about it and you forgot and you got away from it. And all you've got to do is go back and start glorifying the Lord. If you've ever been healed of anything, just go back and start rehearsing how God did it how God moved in your life, how you were healed, go to thanking and magnifying Him, saying, father, forgive me for forgetting this, for not magnifying you and keeping focused on this. And you go back and start rehearsing your victories. Go back and let the Holy spirit renew you and point you back to things. And you know what? Your faith will grow. And that same anointing that was in you 10 years ago, 20 years ago or whatever, it's still there. And it will begin to manifest as you focus on it, begin to glorify and magnify the Lord. We aren't leaky vessels. It doesn't leak out. We're, we're more like a pipe that we get clogged up and stop the flow of God is what happens. And you can rotor rooter that thing. You can get rid of all of this stinking thinking. You can go back and magnify the Lord and let the power of God flow through you. It's at your disposal. You can be as happy as you want to be. It's up to you how happy you are. It's not up to God. You don't need to pray and ask God to touch you. You're already touched in the head. (laughs) You're thinking wrong. You're magnifying the wrong things. You go back and go to glorifying God and focusing your attention on the Lord and magnifying him and these things that were real in your life, five years, 10 years, whatever it was it'll all come back. God has never changed. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. You can be as encouraged, as anointed, as happy, as full of vision as you want to be. There's some people that at one time had a vision. You got a word from God. He showed you something that he wanted you to do. You go out and head in that direction and I guarantee you, you're going to meet opposition. Satan is going to come and try and stop you from accomplishing his thing. And people will come against you. You could have gone through a divorce. You could have lost your money. Something happened. And you know what? You get your attention off of God and off of what he says. You start looking at all of your problems and all of the reasons why it won't work. And you start magnifying those things and they become bigger than God. And that's why you lost your momentum. That's why you lost your steam. All you got to do is go back. And start magnifying God, glorifying God, putting the proper value on it and say, God, forgive me for ever esteeming another person's opinion above what you said. Forgive me for ever listening to what the news had to say more than what the word of God has to say. God, forgive me for taking somebody else's opinion and listening to the doctor when you said I was already healed by your stripes. Why did I ever listen to this guy? Why did I ever take his word above your word? Why did I listen to the banker? Why did I listen to the lawyer? I'm preaching better than you're listening. (laughs) Look over here in Psalms chapter 69. This is a prophetic Psalm. If you were to read it, you'd find out that there's about four times in this Psalm that Jesus quoted from this Psalm. It talked about that they gave me gall to drink, they, uh, smote him with stripes and things like this. This is a prophetic Psalm. It's actually Jesus that's speaking this Psalm prophetically through David. And in Psalms chapter 69 and in verse 30, verse, uh, chapter 69, verse 30, he says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Remember Romans 13, uh, 11 says, or it's either Romans 11, 13, One of those two says that I magnify my office. It's that same word that was translated glorify. So to glorify means to magnify. And here the Lord says, I will magnify God with thanksgiving. The second thing that is listed in Romans 1 21, it says, first of all, they didn't glorify him. The second thing they weren't Thankful. These are all related. We can only separate them for the purpose of discussion and explanation, but really they're intertwined. They're related. If you are truly going to magnify God, then you've got to be thankful. If you aren't thankful, you aren't magnifying God. I could spend days on this one point. People don't understand this. People today think that your emotions are controlled by your hormones and uh, you got a chemical imbalance and we use a million and one excuses. That stuff is a lie. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that. I know many of you will value the word of our secular world over the word of the of the Bible. But the Bible says to bless the Lord at all times. It says in the midst of tribulations, you are supposed to be of good cheer. Those would be unjust commands if you couldn't do it because you don't understand. It's my time of the month. It's my hormones are upset. I've got a chemical imbalance today. We've got a million and one excuses why we don't do what the word of God says but the word didn't say, bless the Lord at all times, except for those of you with the type A personality <laughs> or whatever. He made no exceptions. He says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Let not your heart be troubled. He told his disciples that the night before his crucifixion, they were going to see him crucified. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, most of us today have adopted a way of thinking that we would say, well, that's denial. He's telling the disciples to be in denial. They're suppressing their emotions. They need to vent. They need to let it out. They just need to get down and cry and bawl. Something's wrong with you if you could see your master crucified and let not your heart be troubled. And yet Jesus told them, don't let your heart be troubled. It was a command. See, we've adopted, we have placed value on the word of our psychology, our carnal way of thinking instead of what the word of God says. And because of it, people are emotional basket cases because they aren't valuing the word of God. They aren't doing what the word says. And many of you probably discount some of the things that I just said, because that's not according to the value system that you have. You've been taught to believe that you're supposed to go through periods of discouragement. It's just natural to be up and down like a yo-yo. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make her boast in the Lord. The humble will hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. This is Psalms chapter 34 verses one through four. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You magnify the Lord by exalting him, being thankful unto him, praising him for what he's done. You're commanded to do it. And it'll work in any circumstance. If you aren't a thankful person, you're a person who has focused on the negative. You've magnified the negative negative. You are exalting and increasing the negative things that Satan has done in your life and you are not focused on the things of God. You are not magnifying him and exalting him and you aren't thankful, period. There are no exceptions to it. Somebody says, but you don't understand all of my problems. You don't understand all of the good things that God has done you're only looking in the natural realm at what hasn't happened. I'm telling you that in the spiritual world and on the inside of you, you are absolutely awesome. You've got the glory of God on the inside of you. And I believe that God wants to give you victory in this life. But even if you didn't experience it, and if you die, you go straight into the presence of God. And Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, if you were thinking straight, if you were truly magnifying the Lord, when the doctor tells you that you're going to die, you just reach up and kiss him. Man, that's awesome. You know, David and Gail had a funeral this last week of a in-law that they had to go to this funeral. And that guy died in a recliner or in some chair in the house. And anyway, after the funeral, you know, the family was thinking it's sad to see the man die in the chair. And I guess they were thinking about, you know, getting rid of the chair or doing something like this. They didn't want bad memories, but one of the grandkids came around and he said, where's the lucky chair? (laughs) And they said, what do you mean? The lucky chair. And he says, you know, the lucky chair where grandpa got to see Jesus. And all of a sudden, everybody's opinion changed and they thought, you know what? That's a great thing. He got to see Jesus and he says, I want to sit in the lucky chair. And now instead of getting rid of it, man, they keep that there to remind them that man, he saw Jesus in this spot. It just depends on how you look at things, whether you're going to be carnal or whether you're going to be spiritual. Man, you can be thankful. You can glorify God. You do not have to be upset about anything. And I know many of you are mad at me right now because I'm taking your excuses away and making you accountable for things. And you are saying, like, I want to be upset. I've got a right to be upset. Well, just keep sucking your thumb and (laughs) suffer through. But I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. That praise God, you can magnify God, and if you do it, if you get to where you see what God has done for you and you truly get thankful, it makes God get bigger. You know, one of the signs of the last time, 2 Timothy chapter three, verses one through five, it lists 16 things that are gonna be signs of the end times. And one of them is that man will be unthankful and it puts it right next to unholy. Did you know not being thankful is unholy? It's ungodly. And there are many people, there's probably people right here in this room that you don't say thank you much. You don't show people grace and mercy. We travel on planes a lot and you know, planes get canceled and bad things happen. And I have seen people that I bet you some of them are Christians go up and read those people, the riot act and just how dare you do this. And don't you understand what this is done? And Man, I heard one story about these people that were standing in line. There was 30 people standing in line trying to rebook their tickets and a guy just pushes up to the very front and starts trying to get his thing done. And the woman said, sir, there's all these other people in front of you. And he said, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And this woman got on the microphone and she says, does anybody know who this man is? He seems to have forgotten. (laughs) And he just stormed off but you know what? There's people that think they're the center of the universe. (laughs) Have you ever heard this story about how many people does it take to screw in a light bulb? (laughs) You know, with most people, it only takes one because you just hold it and the world revolves around you. Amen. (laughs) Most people see themselves as the center of the universe. And if something goes wrong, you go in and demand your rights. But did you know a godly person will be kind? Love is kind, patient and kind. It will be thankful. If you aren't a thankful person, if you aren't the kind of person that when you go to eat, if you're the one that always finds something wrong with your food, I've been out with people that I guarantee they'll send it back five and six times. And that could happen to anybody maybe once or something. But every time they go out, nobody can please you. Nobody's up to your standard. You're an ungodly person. Usually goes over about like that, but it's true. You know, Jamie and I've been on flights that were canceled. And I remember one where we were flying to England and in Dulles, they canceled our flight. And we stood in line for two hours, 10 o'clock at night. And we had to wait until the next day to fly out. And I remember going up to the counter and this woman, boy, the guy in front of us had yelled at her. People were using profanity. They were mad. They were upset. When I got up there, I told her, I said, look, I don't like this any more than anybody else, but you know what? You aren't the one that canceled the flight. I said, I know it's not your fault thank you for putting up with all these irate customers. And now here's my deal. Would you help me? This woman nearly reached across the counter and kissed me. <laughs> she looked at me and she says, you don't know how much we hate this. If the people that have to deal with the customers were in charge of this, we had never canceled the flights. And she says, thank you. You made my day. And she gave us a suite, gave us a voucher for food and upgraded us to first class on the next plane. You know what? It's it's just godly to thank people and to be nice to people. And yet some of you think well they did something wrong. I was walking through my office one time and one of my secretaries was on the phone and she she just hung up and started crying. And I said, what's wrong? And we had a meeting coming up where you had to reserve rooms and a guy got the wrong reservation or something. And he called and he just reamed her out. And I said, who was it? And she told me, and it was a guy who I knew. He was a friend of mine. So I called him back on the phone and I said, Hey, what's the deal? I said, my secretary's sitting here crying because of talking to you. And he said, well, you know, I just was trying to get my reservation straightened out. You know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. I I'm just trying to make it clear that I want my way. And I said, you are just being ungodly. And I told him, I said, how dare you treat people this way? I said, you're supposed to be a representative of God. He was a, a pastor. And I said, how dare you treat people this way? And yet I guarantee you, there's some of you that that's exactly the way you act. You know what you're doing? You're magnifying yourself. You're so important. Everybody's got to bow down and lick your boots and do what you want to do. And you're the center of the universe. You know, you just need to get a reality check and recognize that you are not God. And you ought to just humble yourself and start being thankful that things are as good as they are. They could be worse. Amen. i am not gotten very far. I see David looking at his watch. sorry. There's two more really important things to say out of this, but they'll be waving a sign at me soon up here. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God's already done everything. And if you would focus on what God has done and the promises he's got, and if you would magnify that and not let anybody sway you from this, Don't ever take your attention off. Don't get to where you have to have something else to make you happy, that you can find your total joy and peace in the Lord. And you get focused on him and you don't let anybody move you off of it. If God has touched you this week and if God's spoken something to you through me, esteem it as the word of God, even though it came through a Texan and it might've had an accent that you don't like or whatever. Say, you know, God spoke through a donkey once. I believe that was God speaking through that guy. And go out of here and put value on it and say, God, I believe that that was you that spoke to me. And you put value on it and recognize Satan's going to come and try and take your attention off of that and steal this from you. And you just don't let it go. And you say, no, I will not let go of this. God spoke to me. You need to write it down. You need to put some kind of sign up and remind yourself that God's touched my life. I'm not going to back off of this. I got a word from God. I prayed and I agreed with somebody and I know I'm healed and I don't care what I feel like. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what the doctor says. I'm healed and I will not back off of that. And if you will get that attitude and start thanking God constantly, you may have to start in the flesh, not really meaning it, but go through the motions and thank God anyway and go to glorifying God. I guarantee you the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. That anointing will manifest itself. The power of God will flow through you and you can be as full of God, as full of healing, joy, peace, victory, and power as you want to be. It's not up to God. It's up to you. You encourage yourself in the Lord. You glorify the Lord, magnify him, be thankful, and then get your imagination involved. Man, that's powerful. I wish I had time to talk about that. And then you keep your heart from being hardened. You make your heart sensitive to God. Those things are totally up to you. And if you will do that, I guarantee you, you can live in a constant feast with the Lord. Amen. These people are just desperate for God. No, God, would you please touch me? I just want to say it's like, it's like the air you breathe. Just breathe. Amen. Amen. Sure, we need God. Sure, we need his power, but it's all here. It's all available. Just take advantage of it glorify God, magnify him, be thankful. Use your imagination to glorify God and soften your heart towards God. It's totally up to you. If you aren't full of God, it's your fault. So deal with yourself, get into the word of God and it'll correct you and it'll get your thinking straightened out. And when your mind is stayed on the Lord, you will have perfect peace. Isn't that simple? Father, we thank you for these truths. Thank you for all of these promises in the word of God. And I'm asking that the Holy spirit would make application of this to every single person that father, we would take the things that you've done in our life and we would magnify them that we would be thankful. We would glorify you and that father, your joy and your peace and victory, power, anointing, prosperity, healing would flow through us as we release and get rid of the things that have clogged us up. And it kept your power from flowing through us. Father, I pray that you give a paradigm shift to people that they see things differently after this weekend and going out recognizing that we've got it. You've already done your part. You've put it all within us. And now we're going to work it out through the word of God. Thank you, Jesus. We agree and we receive that. And thank you for doing it in the mighty name of Jesus. (coughs) Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you father. Amen. Hallelujah. You know we've had a lot of people already receive from God both through the prayer ministers but we've had how many now come down? 150 people have come down and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many have been born again? 16 been born again. Isn't that awesome? Thank you Jesus. We've seen more people baptized in the Holy Spirit right here in three days than were baptized in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And man, they have shaken the world. We're a product of their witness. If everybody was to go out and operate in what I've talked about tonight, did you know that we could see this same proliferation just through this one meeting? And then you multiply this times the thousands and thousands of meetings that are going on this very night, and God touching people. And I tell you, there's no reason that we shouldn't just shake the world. But it's because Christians aren't walking in this. We're spending our time asking God for what He's already done instead of just stirring up and appropriating what's rightfully ours. I want to give you an opportunity tonight if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus personally. Or if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we've already had so many people receive, but I don't want to take it for granted. Every person needs this. Every person needs to be born again. It's absolutely essential. And if you're born again, you also need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. You aren't going to go very far in the Lord without this. Let me just say that you can't do what I've talked about tonight without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It won't work. It will not work for just a natural person. You have to be infused with God's supernatural power. Jesus said, you receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And one of the things that happens when the Holy Spirit came in the Bible, they spoke with tongues. Somebody says, does everybody speak in tongues? Well, everybody can speak in tongues. Not everybody does, but you can. It's like getting a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. And you can speak in tongues. It's a part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, do you have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? No, you can go to heaven without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can actually get there quicker if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you aren't going to be able to survive. You'll die of something along the way. But you can still go to heaven. But why would you want to go without receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is there anybody here tonight who'd say, man, I need to receive this. I want this gift of speaking in tongues. Anybody here like this? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Here's a hand back here. Here's another one. Anybody else? Here's some over here. Praise God. We've already had so many that probably the majority in here have already prayed. But you know what? We want to make sure everybody has at least the basics. Salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and let us pray with you right here and help you to receive. Come forward right now and let us agree with you. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, Jerry. Is this a friend of yours? He's my mentee. Oh, wow. Man, this is a great night to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What a deal. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, this is great. I believe that this is going to change your life more than anything that you've ever done in just the natural realm. Outside of being born again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the most important thing that you can receive. Before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you first of all have to be born again. There's a lot of people that just assume that I'm a good person. I believe in God. Isn't that enough? The Bible says, do you believe that there's one God? You do well. The devils also believe and tremble. That's a sarcastic statement. Believing that there's a God is not enough. You have to commit your life to him. Do the one thing that Jesus hasn't done. I mean, excuse me, that the devil hasn't done. You have to do the one thing the devil hasn't done and that you have to commit your life to Jesus. So the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Is there anybody here who's never done that? Maybe you believe in God, you acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God, but you haven't really made Jesus the Lord of your life. Is there anybody here that hasn't done that? I need to pray with you first. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. Praise God. Here's three right here. Anybody else? Here's another one down here. Anybody else? Are you sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but there are just so many people today that are assuming that they're right with God. The Bible says that when you get born again, you have a witness in yourself and you know that you've passed from death unto life. You don't wish or hope so. You know it. If you're born again, you know that you're born again. You have a witness in yourself. Is there anybody else who's not sure and you want to pray and make sure? Here's another one down here. Anybody else? Here's another one. So here's five people. We're going to pray with you first. And I'm just going to say a simple prayer based on that scripture that says, if you make Jesus the Lord of your life and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I'm going to pray a prayer that is similar to the words you have to say. It's not magic. It doesn't just automatically work by you saying these words. But if you will believe the words that I'm saying as you repeat after me, then you'll be born again. Because the Bible says, with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Amen. Y'all believe that? Jesus has already died for your sins. He's forgiven them. It's now up to you. Are you going to receive what he's done? And the way you receive it is to make Jesus your Lord. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. You can't be perfect, but it does mean that you're willing to turn your life over to him and you want him to gain control. Are y'all willing to do that? Amen. I'd like to ask everybody to repeat this prayer with me so that they won't feel like we're listening to him. And if you'll say these words and mean them in your heart, You're going to be a brand new person. Isn't that good? Let's say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe Jesus has already forgiven my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Y'all believe that? You know, if you believe that, then you are just a brand new person on the inside. You may look the same on the outside. You may feel the same, but the scripture says that in the spirit, you became a brand new person. You're a new creature. And it says that in the spirit, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Man, that's awesome. God created you to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So everybody up here now has prayed a prayer similar to that. And according to the Bible, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means He created you to fill with the Holy Spirit. He wants the Holy Spirit in you more than you want Him in you. So we aren't going to beg. You don't have to plead. Some people teach that you got to get all of the sin out of your life and you got to be holy before you can receive the Holy Spirit. That's not true. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. The very reason that you need Him is to give you power to overcome things. If you've got sin and problems in your life, you're the very person that God wants to fill with the Holy Spirit. So don't let any sense of unworthiness stop you from receiving. We're just going to open up the doors of this temple and welcome the Holy Spirit to come in. And I guarantee you, you crack the door a little bit, the Holy Spirit's going to come flooding into your life because He wants to fill you. With his power, So I'm going to lead you in a real simple prayer, just welcoming the Holy Spirit to come in. And then I'm going to have our prayer ministers come up here and these people are going to stand behind you and they're going to lay hands on you. After I lead you in prayer, then they're going to lay hands on you because in the Bible... They would lay hands on people and they would release the Holy Spirit into them. So I'm gonna lead you into prayer. They're gonna lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit to come into you. And then after they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands in the air, because the Bible says when you lift your hands, you bless the Lord. This pleases God. God is pleased to see you. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you just go, I surrender. It's your way of yielding and saying, Oh God, I yield to you. So after they lay hands on you, we're going to lift our hands and I want you to start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. Some people have an awesome feeling and emotional experience. That's fine if it happens. But when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing. I just took it by faith and believed that I received. And I guarantee you, I got the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. So it can be emotional. It doesn't have to be. Regardless of what you feel like, I want you to just start thanking God that you receive. And then those of us who know how to pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks well. Well. So we're going to start thanking God in this heavenly language. And as we pray in tongues, I want you to switch from English to tongues and start speaking in tongues with us. And I know some of you think, how do I do it? What do I do? I've got a book that will explain the whole thing. I'm not going to go through it all. But the number one mistake that people make is that they think the Holy Spirit's going to force you to speak in tongues. Some people think it's like when you throw up, that you can put your hand over your mouth and it's just going to come out anyway. That's not the way that it works. The Bible says in Acts 2, 4, that they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He doesn't take your mouth and make it work. You have to speak and by faith believe that the Holy Spirit inspires it. It's like when I spoke tonight, I believe God spoke through me, but it came out in me. I was talking. He didn't take my mouth and make it talk. It came out in Texan. It came out in my personality. It was me talking, but it was the Holy Spirit inspiring it. That's the way speaking in tongues is. It's you talking. If you don't talk, you won't speak in tongues. You have to speak and by faith believe that it's the Holy Spirit. And when you first do it, it'll seem strange. You'll wonder, is this really God? But if you'll continue to do it, God will prove to you that he's inspiring it. Supernatural things will happen. It's a powerful, powerful experience, but you have to do it by faith. And so that's what we're going to do. And if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. Amen. Y'all ready? that was a question. Are you ready? Amen. The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer believer. and I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you for the ones who received their salvation and made you their Lord tonight. Thank you that we are all now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we open up the doors of these temples and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our life, to fill us with your power. We want this gift of speaking in tongues and all of your other gifts. We want this power. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our lives right now. We lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit right now in the name of Jesus. We just release this power and this anointing of the Holy Spirit to flow through every one of these right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Man, there's a power of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We release this anointing to flow through all of these. Now, I want you to put those hands up in the air and let's go to thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit like he promised that he would. Thank him out loud. Open your mouth and talk. Thank you, Jesus, that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you that according to the word of God, I am now God-possessed. I have your power living on the inside of me. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's start praying in tongues and thanking God. And as we worship the Lord and speak in tongues... I want you to switch over from thanking him in English and let's start praying in tongues right now and just thank him. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue won't come out the same as theirs. Every person's tongue is unique to them. You can't say what they're saying. But if you try and say it, it'll get you started. And when it comes out different, just keep talking just keep talking. Don't worry about what it sounds like. When a little baby first talks, it doesn't sound like English, but their parent knows what that child's trying to say. Your heavenly father's listening to your heart. You're bypassing your head. You're praying out of your born again spirit. You're bypassing all of the doubt and the unbelief. Man, the Holy Spirit is inspiring this. Your heavenly Father is hearing your heart. This is one of the first times you've ever prayed without any of the hindrances of your mind. Just keep speaking right now. Be bold enough. Talk loud enough that you can hear yourself. Speak to the Lord. And here's the power of God. Sister, you're speaking in tongues. Now talk. Get loud. Talk loud enough to hear yourself. Be bold with it. Quit being bashful in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man, the power of God is flowing. People are being filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't know what you're saying, but I promise you this is more powerful than what you recognize right now. This is awesome. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Sorry to interrupt you, but let me have everybody's attention here for just a minute. You know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because he promised that he would. When I first asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues immediately. It took me three and a half years to speak in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I'd been told that this was of the devil. And I had so much fear and worry in me that it just clogged up the flow. And it took me a while to get my mind renewed. But I've written all of these things in a book. I've had thousands and thousands of people speak in tongues after reading this book. And I want to give each one of you a copy of it because it's imperative that you understand what happened. Even if you felt something awesome and if you feel like God touched you tonight, you've got something much, much greater than what any of you understand. You're going to have to understand. You're going to have to get the Word and live with this a while before you get the full impact of what happened. But this is a powerful, life-changing experience if you understand what happened to you. So I want to give you this book. It'll help every one of you. And we've got Robert right down here. He's the guy that's got this little book that we're going to give you in the air. If you'll follow him, they've got a room right there with all of those books and they're going to give you this. They'll also pray with you and they'll help you if you need prayer, if you need healing, if you have questions, anything we can do. Just follow him for a moment and we want every one of you to receive this. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Man, that's awesome. Praise God, praise God. People got born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's just wonderful. I think they said we had 160, and if you add these, 20, 30, we've got close to 200 people that have received this weekend. That's just wonderful. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Again, these are our prayer ministers down here. These are all people that have been through a training. Many of them are Bible college students. They're just full of the word of God. They are ready to take their authority and they're here to help you. If any of you need prayer for anything, I encourage you to come right now and let someone agree with you. And This way we can pray with every person in here if you need it. So if you want prayer, I want to give you an invitation to come right now and let one of our prayer ministers agree with you. We've got people standing at the aisles that are going to point you towards a prayer minister. Please cooperate with them and praise God. We want to help everybody to receive. Don't forget that we have CDs and DVDs of every session already duplicated out there. We've also got all of those products and everything. And I'm going to Once the people come forward for prayer, I'm going to dismiss you because we need to start tearing down all of our equipment. It allows our staff to get to bed a little bit earlier. It usually takes about four hours or so to put everything up. And so thanks for coming. We believe that you've been blessed. We're so thankful that you came. Now leave. Amen. And get some materials on your way out. Thanks for coming and being a part of it. You're dismissed.